I am Keith Law, and welcome to episode 31 of The Keith Law Show. I will be joined shortly by my colleague, Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin covers the Toronto Blue Jays for us. She has also been covering the team from afar this year, which I thought would be an interesting thing to talk about, as obviously everything's different for those of us who cover the sport this year. Uh, a little administrative stuff first. To just I had one column last week for subscribers to The Athletic responding to the possibility of Major League Baseball keeping these expanded playoffs into the future. Uh, that went up on September 17th. I think that's Thursday of last week. Yeah, that was Thursday. And uh, thank you. A lot of comments, a lot of really nice responses to that. I uh, also heard from folks within the game who agreed with that, which is always nice to hear. Obviously, I'm not necessarily trying to get their approval, but it is nice to know that people I respect respect what I say. So also, I did participate in a Q&A for our Royals writer, Alec Lewis, he asked me a couple of questions about their farm system and a few of the guys who've debuted this year and answered, I think, three questions for Britt Caroli, who covers the Nationals for us, a couple of questions on the state of their farm system. Obviously, they've emptied it quite a bit recently, resulting in a world championship last year, which is all great news. I also wanted to just remind everyone who's listening, if you have not already purchased my book, The Inside Game, Bad Calls, Strange Moves, and What Baseball Behavior Teaches Us About Ourselves, hey, the holidays are coming. I hear it makes a great gift, or so my publicist tells me. So please feel free to check that out. Many of you have bought it already. Many of you have responded. I really appreciate that. And finally, I do have a free email newsletter, uh, which I try to send out about once a week. Usually just has a little extra note from me on something maybe of more personal bent, and then links to everything I've written since the last newsletter I sent out. If you're interested, completely free, no obligation, you can quit any time. It is at tinyletter.com slash keithlaw. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually it just gets brushed off or it's avoided altogether with excuses. But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to getroman.com slash law and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to getroman.com slash law today. If approved, you'll get $15 off your first order of ED treatment. That's getroman.com slash law. Getroman.com slash law. Now it's my pleasure to be joined by my colleague at The Athletic, Caitlin McGrath. Caitlin covers the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, who are not playing in Toronto, but she's in Toronto, and that's actually the biggest reason I wanted to talk to her. So Caitlin, first, thank you for joining me. So let's talk about, you and I are in a little bit of a similar situation, that we are covering teams and players that we're not seeing in person. So like in general, what's that been like for you to have to cover a team you normally you'd be going to the ballpark you'd have a regular routine and now you're remote for all of this how's that been yeah so for me there's a lot of different kind of aspects to it that have impacted me some are kind of just like personally how I would do my job and my routine and then some are just um, kind of more professionally like the types of stories that I'm able to do and the types of details that I'm able to include so for me personally I'm 
such a routine oriented person. Um, typically in a season like last year, I would have a set time that I would leave my apartment and I would head to the ballpark and then I would arrive at the ballpark and I had a whole sort of pregame um, routine where I would like read up on the team, kind of figure out what my story idea would be that day. And then you kind of prep and plan questions you might want to ask guys that you want to catch up with in the clubhouse. And I would do all that every day, normally, especially when the team was in Toronto. And then I would go on the road too and travel. And that's obviously a huge benefit to our jobs is the ability to travel and see other cities. So that's something that I've not been able to do this year. And then um, professionally, it's um, stories that I normally would pursue. Uh, I'm not really able to do this year. So things that uh, I am particularly interested in are like human interest stories. So sometimes I'll see a player who maybe has a friendship with a player on a team, um, maybe a veteran and a rookie, and they've created a dynamic that I've noticed because they're always chatting pregame in the clubhouse. And I can pursue an angle like that because I've seen it with my eyes and I can have sort of like one-on-one, -on -one, uh, more detailed kind of intimate conversations with them um, and ask them questions that they sort of have time to handle because there's there's a lot of time um, ahead of games in the clubhouse. And also you're just doing it one-on-one. -on -one. Um, now, of course, we're operating on Zoom. And so we're doing Zoom interviews with players and we're never really one-on-one -on -one with them. There's always a lot of other reporters. So you have to understand that if you're pursuing a story, you're kind of letting on to all the other reporters what you're pursuing. So, um, you know, sometimes there are certain questions that, are easier to ask when you're just one-on-one -on -one with a player. Um, and Zoom kind of seems to lend itself more to just the front and center storylines, game stuff, you know, maybe like things that are more about the outcomes of the game or like, you know, if, if a player's changed his, um, you know, delivery or if a player has like changed his batting stance or all those kinds of, that, that you can do on Zoom, but the more like kind of personal stuff, it doesn't really come across on Zoom. Um, and so those are some some major things that I've noticed about this year that I've you know not been able to do. How have you found access to players, team execs? I don't know how much you talk to maybe scouts or minor league folks. Because I found it you, normal, in a normal year, I'd be going to lots of minor league games and college and high school games. I did a, just a little bit of that and then the world ended. Went to no minor league games. I'm still trying to figure out if I'm going anywhere for like fall instructional league. Uh, since it seems like we're not going to have an Arizona Fall League now. One of the big advantages to me is that I'm just sitting there with the scouts. And if I want access to players, I don't usually, it's just not my job, it's part of yours. But I could. It's so much easier to do that stuff when you're there. And it's just either you're having an organic conversation with a scout and stuff just comes up or you're close to the players or it's easy to grab the PR person or even just say to the player if you know them already, hey, Joey Bag of Donuts there. Can I ask you one quick question? So obviously access is less for you, but how has that actually played out in terms of your ability to just do your job? Yeah, like I said, it would be, it's so much more reliant on the Zooms and there are ability, like I have done a few things that have gone, um, uh, that have just been one-on-one -on -one with me. So for example, I did reach out to um, Blue Jays. He was going to be their AAA manager, Ken Huckabee. Now he's kind of running the alternate site. So I was able to catch up with him on the phone and do that. And that was just something that I did on my own. Um, but that's a little bit easier just because he's not with the team and he's um, the alternate site is a little bit more flexible. They have more time. Um, and those kinds of stories are still kind of doable, but it does take a lot longer to kind of organize them because you're going through different people. And like you said, like if I was at the ballpark, 
Um, and a, a question just popped into my mind about like a, a pitcher or something. And the pitching coach was walking by. I would just grab him right there and say, hey, uh, Pete, can I ask you a quick question? And usually he'll give me two minutes or something. And so um, it just takes, it takes a lot of organization. Like I, for example, I'm working on one story now that I'm really hoping I can get it done before the end of the season. Um, but it's taken me almost like a month because I've had to like wait for each zoom to talk to one player and then the next player and then i have to make sure that those zooms um are kind of appropriate times to ask so i don't want to ask a question um that's a little bit off the beaten path after a starter has a poor outing and he seems a little bit frustrated and he's not going to give me a great answer um and then you kind of have to go along and wait for these guys to come up so i've collected all the things that i need for this story and now i have to write it but in a typical year I probably would have been able to knock all those interviews off um, very quickly, just like a day or two, maybe grab this guy, grab this guy, grab the coach. And I've, I'd have a story together this, this way. It's taken me a lot longer. Yeah, that makes sense. I find that on zoom calls in general, or even just on the phone, uh, unless you have a really strong like years long relationship with somebody too, people just talk differently. Like it's there, there's always, uh, you know, just explaining to the people I know who, you know, you get the reaction to, oh, you, you work in baseball, you cover sports. That must be an amazing job. Yes, it's a great job. Obviously, no, I don't complain about my job because no one wants to hear it. But there are challenges, right? Being live with somebody next to somebody, especially when it's not a formal conversation, a formal interview is better than having them on the phone or I guess having them in a Zoom, which is probably still better than talking to them on text, for example, like that's at least my own experience where obviously it can never be with all, you know, physically get to all the people I want to talk to, but it's just better when that happens. And that's one of the main reasons I've always argued that to do my job effectively, it's better to go see players. I just like evaluating them, evaluating them in person. But also if I'm there, who knows who I'll see at the ballpark? I'll talk to somebody. Maybe I didn't plan on it, but it will help inform that thing I'm writing or give me an idea for something else to end up writing down the road. Do you find that sort of seem kind of continuum? Like it's just better. The more touch you have with somebody without touching them this year, <laughs> the better. Yeah, no, totally. And I think just, um, for me, my creative process and my idea generation is always so tied to just being around people and seeing things and hearing things. And a, a, usually a casual conversation will often lead me to an idea. Maybe it's not even, I'm not talking to a player for any sort of purpose. I'm just, you know, catching up or just chit chatting. And he'll say something about an observation he had from a game or he'll give me a kind of tip about maybe a player doing this or a player doing that and then that's a story idea that I have so for me like my creative process is so tied to being there and kind of just almost like fully immersing myself in the team and that's something that I feel I can't really articulate why because this is a new experience for me but I don't feel as connected to this team like I don't feel like I've am able to sort of like wrap my hands around their season and how they've done it and you know who is really I, I know on paper who is contributing but you know those little stories um and those little kind of moments I'm not picking those up as much whereas like last year I feel like I knew the Blue Jays the 2019 Blue Jays inside and out and I could tell you so many different little anecdotes and stories about them that really kind of told the story of that whole season like I was at Vlad's debut I was at Boba Cavan's debut I was at Boba Shett's debut I followed um, those three for the first month when they were still in the minors like I just knew 
um, them very well. And so that's something that I feel like is missing. And another point is whether it's, um, I don't know if it's fair or not, but I do think a lot of players and coaches too, but players for sure notice reporters that show up every day um, in terms of the beat, right? And so uh, I was almost at every home game um, with the exception of, you know, a few days off here and there. And on the road, I would go not every road game because the Blue Jays aren't a competitive team or haven't been a competitive team when I was covering them. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, there's expenses and stuff. But I would carefully plan my travel budget so that I would be there for key series on the road or, like, big road trips or longer road trips. And so players actually notice after a while when you're on the road too. And then that helps um, just form a more trusting relationship with them because – they know you're putting in the level of work that you need to do your job the same as they're putting in the level of work that they need to do their jobs. And so there is a bit of a, a kind of an exchange of um, respect and they sort of, they definitely start to notice when you're there more and they will give you, some players will maybe give you a little bit more than they typically would for somebody who's not there. And so Zooms, because you can just log on from your living room, pretty much anybody who has the, the who has the uh, code can get on. So you lose a little bit of that sort of um, boots on the ground. At least you make the minimal effort of showing up, um, which, you know, that is sometimes a benefit too that, that I've experienced. You know, like Nate Pearson's debut, you would have been there, right? In a normal year, you would have been there. You've been able to talk to coaches beforehand. You would have been there afterwards. I don't know what kind of access you had to him or to the coaches after that game but that was another one I would if that had been somewhere that was easier for me to get to of course I would have gone to see Nate Pearson's debut I've seen him a couple times in the minors I've actually seen him great and I saw him once terrible where he couldn't he just couldn't throw a strike that day it didn't mean a whole lot but it wasn't great that was actually the first time I'd ever seen him live too which is very frustrating because you know first impressions just hard to get that out of your head Nate Pearson is not actually wild or erratic he just was that particular day, but it was a while before it's like, nope, it's not who he is. Remember, just get that straight. But that to me seems like a game where probably a lot of people, you would have gone just as part of your job. A lot of other folks would have tried to go specifically because, hey, this is the best pitching prospect to come out of the Blue Jays system in, God, a long time, right? I'm yeah. trying to think of the last last guy who was this touted. They have more coming behind him now, but it was a big deal. And you would have been there, and I'm assuming your coverage would have just been different if you'd been at the game, able to report on, you know, seeing it from behind the plate and then talking to different people after the game. Yeah. Like for example, at his spring debut, I don't, I think it was Mm -hmm. his spring debut or whether it was his spring home debut. I can't quite remember, but anyway, he's from um, Florida. He's from Mm -hmm. nearby um, Dunedin. And and so for his spring debut, actually his parents were there and I sat with his parents uh, right after his outing. Um, I learned a hard way. One time I did this uh, with Ryan Barucki a year back when his parents came to Toronto and I tried to sit with them while he was pitching and they were way too nervous. And they were like, can you come back later? And so, <laughs> and so I was, and so then I learned that the hard way. So I didn't um, approach his parents as he was on the mound. Cause that's like the nervous time for them, but he only pitched like one inning. I think it was like one or two innings. Um, and so right after he was off the mound and he had a great outing, I went and visited with his parents, talked to them and that informed the story. It made it a nice personal touch. And those are some, some things that as, as I've told you, like I do, like I've done that in the past with, uh, other young players, parents. And so when you're in the stadium, um, you kind of have those options. And like you said, like you could walk around the stadium. So something that I could do is maybe I would walk around the stadium and see like, how are fans Are fans like 
glued to the mound or like, is everybody just following every single pitch that Nate Pearson is throwing? Because like you said, that's not something that we've seen in Toronto or with the Blue Jays for quite some time is to have such a hype prospect on the mound. So yeah, like it just being there, it it's, you can get the stats and you can do all those like, you know, you can have all the information in your story from home. Of course I can do that. I'm filing and I'm doing my job, but those little details that I love to have, those are not in my stories this year. So it's a little bit, you know, it's not frustrating because everybody's going through it in the same way. And we're all like figuring out and navigating this world we're living in right now. But I just feel almost like it's like a part of my job is missing. And I miss that part of doing the job. And I think those are the little things that you go the little extra mile. And that's why you're proud of the story. And not to say that I'm not proud of the writing that I've done this year. But I know there's so much more I could do if I had the opportunity. So you bring up, uh, you just reminded me of something else too. That's I think maybe a shared frustration, which is in a regular year, you probably would have gone to see one or more of the Blue Jays affiliates. Now you're expected to know at least a little of what's going on at their alternate site, um, but you can't go. And I can at least share in my own experience, the example I've given a few times is the Red Sox people are seeing Jaron Duran, who's one of their better prospect, has really changed his swing and unlocked more power. There's a little video available where you can see some of him hitting more home runs in these intra-squad scrimmages that they're playing over the alternate site. But that's not real. They're not real minor league games. He's not facing really competitive pitching. And the biggest thing is no one's allowed in to independently evaluate him and even getting access to people at those sites can be far more difficult so i have taken note of information like that when i've gotten it on specific players usually from team sources but i'm keeping it all almost like in a separate mental file to say let's follow up on this in the future when we can independently verify some of this stuff as opposed to in a typical year oh so-and-so's changed his swing great i will get out there and go see him or i will talk to three scouts from other teams who went to see him and so there's a there are probably a lot of players who've improved and maybe some have gone the other way at the alternate sites and we're just left taking their word for it. And have you how has that experience been trying to gather any kind of information from the Jays alternate sites you can incorporate into stories or even try to write whole stories on guys you you just don't have any access to? Yeah, no, it's definitely been difficult. And you're right, like in a typical year, I'm not a huge prospect person, but I definitely keep an eye on it, try to check in on some of the coaches. Um, And it's part of it's also just timing, like I find with the condensed season, um, it's so much harder to just like find those little lulls in the season where you can fit that stuff into my writing schedule. Like normally I would be like, oh, there's a kind of a long road trip, I'm not going to be on it. Why don't I go down to Buffalo and, and uh, do those types of stories or why don't I call up these people and there's more um, time for the season to breathe so you have more time for those stories to actually grow and for you to research and report them Um, an example though of like the Blue Jays this year is that um, you know I called up like I said Ken Huckabee earlier in the season and he told me and I asked him kind of a rundown of some of the the Blue Jays um, top prospects you know the guys that people ask about Jordan Groshans and Austin Martin and um, Simeon Woods Richardson. And of course I asked about Alejandro Kirk. He's everybody's favorite here. And uh, the report from him, um, from Ken Huckabee was definitely showing improvement. Um, but then, you know, game calling and communication was still something that he was learning. And so 
all of us were pretty caught off guard when like, I don't know, <laughs> a month later, he was called up to the taxi squad. And um, we had not, so we have not seen him since spring, where of course he was making a great impression on the coaching staff and the fans because he's such a kind of lovable dude. But, um, you know, we hadn't seen him. And so all of a sudden he gets called up to the taxi squad and we're like, okay, well, I guess it's just kind of a, a little sort of field trip for him to kind of know what the major leagues are like and learn from these guys. And of course, like 10 days later, he's added to the team. And so that is an example where it's like, I don't know if that would even happen in a typical year, but maybe he would, but there would be, would have been signs, right? Like there would have been like, Oh, okay. He's been um, promoted to triple a. So now we know he's closer. And then there would have been signs of like, okay, well it's nearing the end of the season in triple a. Is he going to get that call up? You could kind of track it better. Um, but this year it was like caught us all by surprise. And we didn't really know what he was looking like at the alternate site um, just because none of us are there. So um you know, that's something where, um, you know, that was strange for all of us because we really didn't see it coming, or at least I didn't see it coming. I won't speak for my colleagues, but I think most of us didn't see it coming. And, um, and so that's an example of something that wouldn't happen in a typical year. Cause even if you're not on the ground reporting there, there's just clues, right? Like you're just more aware right. of like the double a season always, oh, you know, he's hitting really well and he's getting promoted or, you know, you would have had an idea of what was happening. That did not exist this year. Yeah, that was, I was totally caught off guard. In fact, I found out because you sent me a message on Slack <laughs> yeah. asking about him. I was like, wait, where? I actually had to triple check. I was like, wasn't he an A ball last year? Like an A ball catcher. Uh, he has great bat to ball skills. So I'm sure that was a little bit of the argument. And also just that they, you know, you need bodies in this season. You're just anybody. Can he catch? Yes, he can catch. He can sit behind the plate and stop the ball from going to the backstop. Okay, great. Call him up. But the la- if you'd asked me that in March, I would have said, especially before the world ended, I would have said, we're not seeing Alejandro Kirk this season. <laughs> There's no shot. Just from a developmental perspective, you probably wouldn't have wanted, in a regular season, you wouldn't have wanted to bring him up because you would have said, no, nope, he's going to, at best, he starts in double A and he spends most of the year there and you try to line him up maybe to catch Woods Richardson or to catch Alec Manoa or somebody, let him work on catching better stuff, work on game calling, and he's at least a year away. And now this season, it, it was completely. I thought it was. It was. It felt out of nowhere. Obviously, internally it wasn't, but mm-hmm. I don't think anybody on the outside had any idea. And we have. I, I agree with you. I think that stuff doesn't happen in a typical season because they just don't have enough bodies around. And with just sixty players, sounds like a lot until you start counting and realizing how many pitchers you have to have and how many catchers you have to have, and you probably need to have an extra guy who can just play shortstop. Blue Jays are probably okay in that department, but still, like you just need a certain number. You have minimum requirements just to fill out a roster, and even if you have some positional versatility on the major league side, you still need you know X number of catchers on the sixty man pool in the sixty man pool, and that's how an Alejandro Kirk ends up in the big leagues, I guess. Yeah, pretty much, I think, and I mean specifically with the Blue Jays, they just weren't getting much production out of their catching core. So um, they sort of were at a point where they just needed to inject some offense into that position. And they were like, let's try it. Like, (laughs) you know, I think that they were impressed with Kirk's, um, you know, progress. But I also think they were a little bit almost pleasantly surprised of how quick he was able to pick uh, pick up the the catching stuff. Mm -hmm. Just like not not like the actual like, physical catching stuff, but like it's more like the mental game prep and the communication. Obviously he's still learning English and he's a little bit of a shy guy. So I think that they were, um, you know, really happy with the way that he was able to um, just kind of jump right in 
and, um, you know, show some authority back there. And I think he's been, um, you know, I think hitting has been a little bit tough for him, but I think, um, you know, it hasn't been by any means a disaster. You know, he's looked pretty, he's looked okay out there. Yeah. He hasn't struck. He's only struck out once, which I know it's worth dealing with a sample of 11 plate appearances, mm-hmm. but I feel like in such a high strikeout era in baseball history, anyway, if you can jump essentially from high A to the majors and not strike out excessively, he's just putting the ball in play. One, you just think he'll probably have some better luck going forward too. That's just a testament to a guy who's got really exceptional bat control or bat to ball skills in the first place, which also I don't think is something any anybody really teaches like they used to. Kirk just seems to have come into pro ball like that. If you look at his history, he's kind of always been a bat to ball mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, I think, and I think I've talked to him in spring and I, I asked him like, have you just always been a hitter? Like since you were young and he kind of said, yeah, like it's just something that's always come naturally to him, which probably is what is just for some guys, that's just what it is, right? Like some guys yep. just have those natural abilities and if they can kind of translate them and keep improving them. Um, you know, I think for him, it's all the athletic kind of stuff is fine with him. It's sort of just the refinement and the, the more getting more, um, I guess, detailed and, and learning all these, the pitching staff and just getting confidence back there with calling a game, I think. And that's probably something that will just progress as he ages and matures and gets more comfortable in the major leagues and gets more comfortable with the pitching staff, which is always ever changing, especially this year. And especially with the Blue Jays, they always seem to have like a revolving door of, of starters lately. Yeah. Well, that's, that was the other thing I wanted to ask about uh, was, were you taken by surprise that the Blue Jays kind of went all in at the trade deadline and I thought did a really good shrewd job. Like we're not going to get a number one starter or, you know, they don't want to trade their prospects, which I could understand, especially this season, but managed to import a couple of rotation pieces. They're not all going to work out, obviously, but they recognize this is a weakness. We don't have depth. Maybe we catch lightning in a bottle. Taiwan Walker's actually looked pretty good so far. He's always been a guy who I thought could be more than he's been. Um, a lot of it's due to health reasons. But how were you surprised? What was sort of your reaction? What sense did you get even from, say, around the team when they decided to, nope, we're going to go. We're going we're going for it this year. We're absolutely pushing for the playoffs and let's bring in. If we can bring in 40% of a rotation, great. Yeah, I think that I was – a little bit surprised. Um, maybe that's just because my background with the Blue Jays covering them last two years has been complete teardowns at the deadline. So I was almost like caught off guard by the fact that they were acquiring guys and they were like buying as opposed to selling off like half their roster. So for me, it was just like, oh yeah, okay, I guess they're going to go for it here. Like, um, And I think it would have been a pretty easy year for them to stand pat also because they could have just said, we're playing with house money. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've already got ourselves into a playoff spot and um, let's just see what happens with the guys already have. We don't want to give anything up, but actually they did a pretty good job with not really giving up all that much, a couple prospects, but no one really that was super high in their system and no one that they were, you know, obviously didn't want to part with. They didn't have to, it didn't, doesn't seem like they had to make any really tough decisions. And I think also there was some urgency because right ahead of that, they did lose some starters. So like Matt Shoemaker and um, uh, Nate Pearson went down right around that time. So they lost two starters from the rotation. Um, They weren't seeing the best out of Tanner Rourke and Chase Anderson at that point. So they weren't getting quite the innings um, they thought they'd get out of those two. So they really needed to build that depth and then the injuries to Bo Bichette, um also kind of contributed to them needing some help in the infield. So it kind of was like a mixture of there is some urgency 
consistency here for them to fill the roster because the injuries have hit them pretty hard. Um, but then there was also the other side of it is like, you know what, they kind of um, see that the time, the internal timeline has um, moved up a little bit. They've probably surprised themselves a little bit. And, and part of that is just really, quite frankly, taking advantage of the shortened season um, that teams like them if all things broke right, we're going to be able to do. So, you know, the Blue Jays ahead of the season were kind of like a bubble team. Like if everything goes right and maybe some things go wrong for some other team, they could probably get that eight spot. And that's exactly what's happening. And so for them to have a playoff rotation, they did have to have, they did have to do something. And now I think you're seeing with Taiwan Walker probably is going to be that number two. And then with Robbie Ray and Stripling, Stripling's interesting because he does come with control. So the Blue Jays have a player there that they can use from the bullpen or they can make him a starter or he could be like a swing man. They've had success. This is dating back a while ago, but I think when they acquired Marco Estrada, he was kind of that mold too. He was a seen as a swing guy. Um, and the blue Jays were kind of able to remold him and Marco Estrada had two of his best years, I think with the blue Jays organization. So, you know, that's something that the blue Jays have done in the past. Um, and yeah, so yeah, definitely a pretty good trade deadline. And I think it's going to benefit them. I think that they're, almost a shoe in to get into the playoffs at this point, even though they've kind of been stumbling down the finish line here, but they've, <laughs> they've built themselves enough of a lead that they're pretty secure. Last question for you. And this is all sort of open-ended. This can be your opinion. People you've spoken to. I get questions from a lot of Blue Jays fans. essentially, what's going on with Vlad? Uh, you know, he, he's just been hitting the ball on the ground too much. He hasn't shown any near the power that we expected. You know, I point to the fact he's, got exceptional back control. He's still really young. Obviously, he's very strong. I think he'll be better if they just let him DH and he doesn't have to worry about defense. That's just my outside opinion. But what is your take on where he is developmentally? And do you or do you think the organization has changed their view at all on the potential for him to eventually become an offensive star? I think there's still a lot of belief and faith in Vlad. And I think internally, the rebuild um, is still highly built around Vlad performing. I think probably um, the performances of Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio have been maybe a little better than people expected. Bo Bichette was always a kind of a guy that it seemed to just be, maybe he just flew under the radar for various different reasons because he had kind of a wonky swing or he did his own thing. And then also he kind of came up in the shadow of Vlad. So no matter who is the second um, prospect in the Blue Jays system was always going to be seemingly very far behind Vlad just because of the hype that was surrounding him. So I think that though internally um, there's still a lot of belief in Vlad and, and you know, it has been bumpy though. I think that the, the transition from third to first happened a little bit earlier than a lot of us thought. I thought that he would get maybe one more season, especially a shortened season, just to see how third um, was going to work out. At the same time, if they were going to move him anyway, it's like, well, if he was never going to be their permanent third baseman, what's the point of giving him one more season there? If you're going to want to move him, just start it, get get that ball rolling now. So I kind of saw the logic behind first base. Um, You know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about his conditioning and um, that uh, is something that always comes up when I'm writing about Vlad or um, seemingly every, no matter what I write about, that comes <laughs> up in the, that comes up in the comments and the Blue Jays are working with him. And, you know, at the end of last season, they were, Ross Atkins was pretty serious and pretty frank about the fact that they wanted Vladdy to show up um, in better shape than he had shown up um, previously. And he did that and they were pretty impressed with him. Of course, the pandemic, kind of threw a wrench into that and you know they've 
talked about how, it, you know, it was hard for him to get the same level of workout when he was in the Dominican. And he's showed a renewed um, uh, investment and renewed, um, you know, he's, he's working hard at his conditioning again. I think he, the results have shown. Um, but I think it's so hard to not say that it's been a little bit of a, um, you know, disappointing first couple seasons for him. And I think part of that is just the hype was so big around him. And maybe it was really hard to for him to live up to. I do think that he's shown improvements and he's working pretty hard with um, Dante Bichette. They brought him in as a coach and, and Blue Jays existing coach, um, Guillermo Martinez. And there was a stretch there where he was hitting the ball a lot better and he looked like he was putting better swings. Um, and so there's still a lot to like about Vlad. And I agree with you. He's still very young. Um, I think we forget that. And, you know, not everybody's development is going to be linear and upward as some people's development is going to go in different directions and people are, you know, their own person. So I still think there's a lot of belief in Vladdy. I think his teammates believe in him. And one thing that's good about Vladdy is, Sometimes he shows frustration in the moment, which I think is okay. I think you want him showing frustration and showing that he wants better results for himself. And so that renewed confidence and faith in, or sorry, that same confidence and faith in himself is there. And he does keep a pretty good demeanor too. Like he's still smiling in the dugout and he's a very active member of the team. So, you know, I think, I think it'll come together for him because I just think he's so talented and the power is there. It seems like it's all going to come together. It's just not, it's not been quite there yet. Yep. I, I agree. I have not lost faith, but I also understand Jay's fans who are a little bit frustrated so far. My guest today has been Caitlin McGrath. She covers mostly Blue Jays for The Athletic, and you can follow her on Twitter at Caitlin C. McGrath, K-A-I-T-L-Y-N-C-M-C-G-R-A-T-H. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. That's all for this week's show. Thank you so much for listening. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic yet, we do have a $1 a month promotional offer going on now. Just go to theathletic.com slash claw with a K. That's theathletic.com slash K-L-A-W. That's my nickname. It has been since high school. I do actually still answer to that. A lot of people say K-Law instead, and that's fine, but it's claw. It's phonetic. It, it, it's claw. It's just Claw. Not Dr. Claw. Not yet. Maybe when I get an honorary degree someday, I can be Dr. Claw. But for now, I'm just Claw. K-L-A-W. Theathletic.com slash K-L-A-W for a $1 a month pr promotional offer. And you get to read all the things, all the stuff I've written, all the stuff my colleagues have written will all be yours for as long as you're a subscriber. So please check that out. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Stay safe. Wear your masks. <laughs>